Amen. Well, please take your Bibles, and if you'll turn with me at this time to the book of Acts, we're in the Acts chapter 2 this morning, verses 1 through 13. Our message series is called Church on the Move, and today we come to the giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Now, remember we said that there were two, two historical turning points that launched the church into its mission. We already looked at the first one, that was in chapter 1, Jesus' ascension to heaven. That was when Jesus completed His uh, earthly ministry and now began His heavenly ministry. And now we come to the second turning point, which is the giving of the Holy Spirit. And these two turning points, they're connected, right? It was because Jesus ascended to heaven that He could now pour out the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Right before Jesus ascended, He told His disciples, He said, don't go back to Galilee. He said, return to Jerusalem, stay there wait for the gift my Father has promised. Ten days later, it happened. It happened, and the church has never been the same. So, in Acts chapter 2 this morning, I'm going to begin just by reading verses 1 through 4. Hear the word of the Lord. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This is the Word of God. Let us pray. Dear God, as we look into Your Word, as we look at this passage, as we look at this event, this this event that happened in history, uh, pray, Lord, that we would not only marvel at Your power and wisdom in your plan, but Lord, we would also see how all of this applies to us today. And uh, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday dear Church! Someone got it. Let's say it together. Happy birthday, dear church. Everybody, happy birthday to you. Okay, well, it's not our church's birthday today. It's not the church's birthday. But you know, at Pentecost, that's what we often view, right? That's the birthday of the church. That's where it all begins, and that's the event that we come to today. The giving of the Spirit at Pentecost. This is one of seven, okay? Seven major, unique, non-repeatable events in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. There are seven of them. Those events are as follows. We have Christ's incarnation, baptism, death, resurrection, and ascension, the pouring out of the Spirit at Pentecost, and then the one we're still waiting on, right? Christ's return. Now, the promise of the Spirit, that's something that's already been mentioned several times in the book of Acts. We're only just starting chapter 2. But remember, Acts is only the second part of a two-part book. We also have the Gospel of Luke. Luke wrote them both. They go together. And so, we've really, biblically speaking, we have been anticipating this event, the giving of the Spirit, ever since Luke chapter 3. And that's where John the Baptist told the people about Jesus. He said, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. 
And then, of course, there are so many other references to the Holy Spirit in Luke's gospel as well. Why does God give us the Holy Spirit? Well, the Bible gives us several reasons to teach us, right, to guide us, help us, comfort us, strengthen us, convict us, and make us holy. But the reason we're going to look at today is so important. God also gives us His Holy Spirit so we can be effective witnesses for Him. You need the Holy Spirit to witness. You cannot be an effective witness for Christ without the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. So let's get started with our passage this morning. There's an outline in your worship guide. I'd encourage you to take that out. It'll help you to follow along. You might want to jot down some notes as we go. But you'll see that uh, we're going to look at the giving of the Spirit and then the going forth of the gospel and then some applications from all of this to our own lives uh, today. So our passage begins with the giving of the Spirit, verses 1 through 4, the giving of the Spirit. And there are a number of things we should note about this event. First of all, we read that the believers were all together, all together. Verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And you'll notice that Pentecost already existed. Pentecost was already a holy day long before the Spirit was given. Pentecost is the second of three major Jewish feasts where the Jews were required to return to Jerusalem each year. First one is what? Passover. We know that one, right? Also known as the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After that comes Pentecost, also known as the Feast of Harvest or the Feast of Weeks. Uh, And then much later in the year came the Feast of Tabernacles, also known as the Feast of Ingathering. Well, the Feast of Pentecost was always celebrated 50 days after Passover. So Passover, 50 days, Pentecost. Uh, In fact, that's where the word comes from. Pentecost uh, comes from the Greek word for 50. This was a one-day festival with special sacrifices celebrating the first fruits of the wheat harvest. God, in His providence, chose this day for the believers in Acts to receive the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. Luke says they were all together in one place. He doesn't say where. We we just know they were in a house. We often assume it was the upper room, but we don't know that. The text doesn't tell us. The all here, though, refers to those 120 believers we saw in chapter 1. And the fact that they are all together shows that they were united in purpose and in prayer, and they were doing just what Jesus said. They were waiting for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Next, we read, came the sound of wind and the tongues of fire. Look at verses 2 and 3. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind, okay, like a hurricane, right? Came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Luke says, this all happened suddenly, right? No warning, no preparation. They're there. They're waiting They're praying, they're expecting. It's been 10 days, and suddenly God sends the Holy Spirit. And the first thing that happens is they hear a sound, uh, the sound like this this violent wind. Notice it doesn't say there was an actual wind. Uh, The hair and clothes weren't being blown around, just they heard the sound of a wind. Uh, Now, wind is, of course, symbolic of the Holy Spirit. 
wind and spirit are the same word in the Greek. The Holy Spirit is often compared to wind in the Bible. Luke tells us the sound came from heaven, okay, indicating its source, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. This must have been some sound. Next, they saw. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. It's even hard to explain what they saw. So, first of all, you have an audible element, and now there's a visual element, audio-visual, right? Fire in the Bible is often a sign of God's presence. We see this repeatedly throughout the Old Testament. Think of Moses and the burning bush, right? Think of the pillar of fire uh, that guided the Israelites through the wilderness. Think of God descending on Mount Sinai with smoke and fire. And so these tongues of fire come, and they separated, and they came to rest on each of them. This was a visual representation that the Spirit was being given to each and every one of the believers present. In other words, the Spirit wasn't just for the apostles. It wasn't just for the leaders or the chosen few. The Spirit is for everyone who believes. And then, as if this wasn't enough, they began speaking in other languages. Look at verse 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, the Bible speaks of various types of filling when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Various types of filling. There is the initial filling of the Spirit when you first come to the Lord. There are various fresh fillings for service, witness, and power. And then there is what the Bible calls the continual filling with the Spirit as you walk with the Lord. And then the Bible also uses different words for this experience. Sometimes it speaks of being filled with the Spirit, sometimes receiving the Spirit, sometimes being baptized with the Spirit, sometimes the Spirit being poured out on a person. And we shouldn't think of each of those words as different types of experiences. It's all one experience, although you might want to take that term baptism and just use that for the initial filling of the Spirit. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they start talking in tongues. They start speaking in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This was another supernatural manifestation of the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other human languages, okay? These were other known human languages, but these were languages they had never learned. They had never spoken before. They did not personally know themselves. And so the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost was marked by miraculous, visible signs. You know what? The other six unique, non-repeatable events in Christ's ministry, also all of them were marked by miraculous, visible signs. Think about it. Christ's birth, all the miracles that happened there, visual miracles, the star and all, Christ's baptism, Christ's death, resurrection, His ascension, all marked by miraculous, visible signs. And so will Christ's return. And these visible miracles were, uh, they were important uh, to authenticate Christ and, and to show the importance of each of these stages in his life and ministry. They were, excuse me, especially important uh, when it came to Christ's ascension and Pentecost. Because how else would we know that Jesus went back to heaven? Unless we saw it, unless someone saw it and could testify. It had to be visible. How else would we know that the Spirit was given unless there were visible signs? 
You know, this is similar to what, what God used to do in the Old Testament. When God gave the Spirit in the Old Testament, He would often give an accompanying visible sign along with the Spirit so that everybody would know that that person had received the Spirit. Right? You know, sometimes uh, the person would, you know, be able to do supernatural feats of strength or, or uh, uh, sometimes they would just begin prophesying, but there was some sign that accompanied. So this second chapter of Acts begins with the giving of the Spirit that took place on Pentecost. The believers all together in one place, they heard that sound like a mighty wind. They saw what looked like tongues of fire which separated and rested on each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other languages as the Holy Spirit enabled them. That's the giving of the Spirit. Now, the giving of the Spirit was immediately followed by what? The going forth of the gospel. The going forth of the gospel. And this is important because these two are also meant to be linked together. Do you remember our theme verse for the whole book of Acts? Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Jesus told the disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then what happens next? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That is exactly what is happening here. God has poured out His Spirit. Jesus has poured out the Spirit. Jesus ascended to heaven, exalted to the right hand of God, has poured out the Holy Spirit. And what happens now? The believers are given power to witness. And where does it all start? Right here in Jerusalem. Everything Jesus said would happen. Luke tells us that there were God-fearing Jews who were there from every nation. Verses 5 and 6. Look at this now. There were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. And you might be wondering, well, why would the Jews be in all these other nations? Don't they all live in Israel? Don't they all live around Jerusalem? And no, no. remember, there, there, were, there were exiles in the Old Testament, the Assyrian and, and the Babylonian exile and the dispersal of the Jewish people. And, and some of them came back, but a lot of them just stayed in those nations, and, and, and they continued there. And uh, you know, many would be visiting at this time. Why? It's Pentecost. It's one of the three times you've got to come back to Jerusalem. See, God, all part of God's plan here. Uh, these were God-fearing Jews. They had come here to worship God at the annual feast. Luke tells us they heard the sound. The sound is probably the sound of, uh, of everybody speaking in tongues, okay? Remember the, the wind and the fire? That all took place back at the house somewhere. It seems they've, they've moved over towards the temple now, and they're still speaking in tongues, speaking in other languages. And the crowd hears this sound, and Luke says that they, they came together in bewilderment. That's a word signifying amazement or, very important word here, confusion. Confusion. They're confused. And there's perhaps here a very subtle reference to the Tower of Babel in the book of Genesis. What happened there? That's where God came down from heaven and confused the languages. That same word that's used in Genesis, confused, is the word that's used here. They're, they're bewildered. They're confused. Interesting. And what is amazing here is that the reason they're confused, they're hearing the message of the gospel in their own language. In their own language, picking up now in verse 7. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? 
then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? And then they list them, Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. You know, I, I, I tried to learn a couple languages in high school. Can you imagine learning all these languages? Well, they didn't even have to. God's doing this. Luke tells us that they were utterly amazed. That's two more words in the original language, the words for amazed and astonished. This is the second now and third mentions of the people being amazed at what has happened. There's more to come. They ask each other, aren't these Galileans? You know, the Galileans were not known for education. They weren't known for culture. Uh, They certainly would not be fluent in all of these different languages. Luke lists here five groups of 15 nations who were present. If you look at it geographically on a map, the list sweeps uh, from east to west, covering the main areas of the Roman Empire where the Jews resided. He includes the city of Rome in the list. Uh, It's estimated that 30,000 to 40,000 Jews lived in Rome at this time. And God is doing all of this for a purpose, okay? He's doing this language thing for a purpose. You see, in these days, everybody knew Greek. Everyone knew Greek in these days. Everyone knew Aramaic. God could have just used the common languages, if he wanted, to communicate. He still would have gotten the message across. Instead, he used each person's native tongue. You see, the giving of the Holy Spirit is by definition an invisible act. The, the crowd, the people weren't there to hear the sound of the wind, to, to see the flames of fire. And so God is giving visible testimony to the pouring out of the Holy Spirit through this miracle of the believers speaking in languages that they had never learned. You know, it also sets a good precedent for missions. Think about it. Your birth language, that's your heart language, right? It's so important. You know, we, we don't really, you don't really fully realize it until you go to another country where they're speaking another language. Maybe you've been studying that language. Maybe you've been studying it for months. And so you can talk and you can communicate. But you know what? There's always this barrier that exists. Uh, there's that barrier there that doesn't exist in your own language. And that's why we work so hard to translate the Bible uh, into other people's languages. We, we don't go there and say, hey, let, let's teach you English so you can read the NIV. Right? We don't do that. No, we go there and people spend months, years, decades learning their language, translating the Bible into their language so they can hear God's Word in their own native tongue. It is a labor of love. Luke says these Jews from all the nations, they heard the believers declaring the wonders of God. So now we know what they were saying. They weren't just saying anything in different languages. They were proclaiming God's mighty deeds Uh, Most likely, all that he had done through Christ, especially through Christ's life, death, and resurrection, the gospel message. And the crowd's initial response to all this was probably the same thing you and I would have said. What does this mean? What's going on here, right? Look at verses 12 and 13. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them said, they've had too much wine. Now, notice those words amazed and perplexed. That's now the fourth time and fifth time Luke mentions all of their amazement and confusion at this. He wants us to see God is doing something amazing here. But what does it all mean? Well, 
We're going to find out next week, okay? Because uh, P- Peter's going to go on the, the, the next passage uh, in chapter 2, and he's going to tell them what this all means, and we'll, we'll get to that next week. But Luke also tells us that, you know, that some of them made fun of them, right? You know, they've had too much to drink. You know, they, they, they couldn't understand what was happening, so they come up with their own explanation. And Peter, very smart, we'll see this next week, Peter's going to take their accusation, you guys are just drunk, he's going to take that accusation and he's going to flip it around, he's going to use that as a bridge into the gospel. It's amazing, it's awesome, we'll see that next week. So what are some applications now that we can make for ourselves from this amazing event that was such an amazing experience, both for the 120 believers and also for these Jews in Jerusalem who heard them that day. I want to share with you five applications as we close today. Once again, they're all in that insert in your worship guide if you want to follow along. Application number one, we need the Holy Spirit for effective ministry. We need the Spirit for effective ministry. This is a pattern we find both in Luke's gospel and also in the book of Acts. Jesus in the gospel of Luke and the church in Acts both, they both experience Visible manifestations of the Spirit descending, right? Christ at His baptism, the church at Pentecost. Both are filled with the Holy Spirit and both are empowered for ministry. We need the Holy Spirit. We need to receive the Holy Spirit. We need fresh, feel, fresh fillings of God's Spirit for service and witness and power. And we need to be continually filled with the Spirit as we walk with the Lord. Application number one, we need the Holy Spirit for effective ministry. Now, the second application is really a reminder of a principle we learned earlier in this series, uh, in week number one, and that is that we need to be careful in interpreting unique historical events in the Bible. And although there are principles we can learn from these events, we should not expect the event itself to repeat. Let me give you a couple examples. Just because Jesus was born of a virgin doesn't mean that you and I are going to be born of a virgin, right? That makes sense. Just because the Holy Spirit descended physically in the form of a dove when Jesus was baptized... That doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is going to descend physically like a dove when you or I are baptized. And just because the believers spoke in tongues when they were filled with the Spirit at Pentecost does not mean that you or I will necessarily speak in tongues when we are filled with the Spirit. In other words, we should not expect visible, miraculous signs every time someone is filled with the Spirit. And we should not view tongues as the universal sign that someone has been filled with the Spirit. The gift of tongues, it's really a very minor doctrine. You know, when you look at the full scope of Scripture, it shows up here in Acts and a couple times more, and then once again just in a couple chapters in 1 Corinthians. Most Christians throughout history have never spoken in tongues. But that does not mean that they were not filled with the Spirit. God has a special purpose for the gift of tongues, and it's one gift of many. A third application we can make from this passage is the importance of the gospel. 
Because what happened at Pentecost foreshadows the gospel going out to all the nations. At this time, the gospel was still focused on the Jewish people. Remember, Jesus said, start in Jerusalem. But then what did Jesus also say? He said, then Judea, then Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. The gospel is for all peoples from all tribes and languages, and it is through the gospel that God unites the people from all the nations in Christ. And in many ways, and we already hinted at this, what happened at Pentecost was really a reversal of what happened back at the Tower of Babel. John Stott writes this. I, I love the way he puts this. He says, at Babel, earth proudly tried to ascend to heaven, whereas in Jerusalem, heaven humbly descended to earth. At, at Babel, God divided and scattered the nations in judgment. At Pentecost, God brought them together. He spoke to the Jews from the various nations in their own language. And then fast forward to the book of Revelation, to the end of time. And what do we find? We, peop, we find people from every tribe, language, nation, and people worshiping God before the throne. Awesome. Application number four. Miracles do not convince people to believe. Miracles don't convince people to believe. Only God's Spirit working in their hearts will do that. I mean, look at our passage. Here God is literally speaking, right? Speaking the gospel to these Jews uh, from many nations in all their own native languages. Something impossible, a true miracle from God. And a bunch of them still don't believe. They still didn't believe. They're just making fun of them. Oh, you just all, you're drinking too much. You're drinking early in the morning. Miracles do not necessarily bring people to God. Only the Spirit of God working through the Word of God brings someone to faith. Remember what Jesus said uh, about the rich man's brothers, uh, the rich man and Lazarus? You know, the rich man said, send Lazarus to them. They'll, they'll listen to him. And Jesus said, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, to the Word of God, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Whether that person was Lazarus going to them, or, and I think Jesus was actually kind of steering them towards this, or when Jesus himself rose from the dead. Because Jesus did rise from the dead. And a lot of people still didn't believe. And then our final application is my favorite. This is the best one. The mission has begun. And it is amazing. So hop on board. Be a part of this. God gives us the Holy Spirit. Why? So we can be effective witnesses for Him. There is power from heaven available to you today. All you need to do is ask God to fill you with His Holy Spirit. Ask Him every day, daily. Ask God to fill you with His Holy Spirit and then look for those opportunities to share Jesus with others. And then as you're sharing Jesus, be praying. Say, God, touch their hearts with the Spirit. Touch their hearts with the gospel. You see, God's church is on the move. And you get to be a part of it. Don't miss out on the most important mission in the world. Let us pray.
Oh, Father God, we thank you for this amazing passage of Scripture. We thank you for the amazing miracles that uh, you've performed at the giving of the Spirit, the sound of wind, the, uh, the visual of the tongues of fire, the speaking in other languages. But Lord, we thank you that you have promised to give us power in witnessing. It's not about us, Lord. We're just the messengers. We just share the good news with someone else. And as we ask for your Holy Spirit to fill us and touch their hearts, God, we can expect to see people put their faith in Jesus. And Lord, uh, sometimes the only reason the people around us aren't putting their faith in you is because we're not sharing with them. And so, Lord, convict us, challenge us, encourage us, inspire us that we have a job to do. Lord, help us to get with the program, to hop on board. Lord, fill us with your Spirit. Holy Spirit, bring people to, lo- to know and serve and love Jesus. This is, a, this is our prayer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.